Thank you. Thank you very much. It is a, a great privilege to be with you again uh, this week as we uh, yeah, uh, think about God's mission in this global missions convention. Uh, last week, uh, well, the whole convention through these talks, we're thinking about what are some of the barriers uh, to engaging in God's mission and how do we get beyond some of those barriers. Last week, we thought about the barrier that, that many people feel, which is that, you know, global mission's great, but, but it just seems a bit irrelevant. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's something I really need to be getting invested in. I'm going to focus my time and efforts just right here in my own community. But we saw that actually our God is a global God. Our God is a missionary God. And so if we are God's people, then we also must be global people. We must be missionary people committed to his work to the ends of the earth. That God is sending us out with this message of Jesus into our community, into the nation, into the world. And that if we're really shaped by Jesus, then we're going to reflect that same conviction. But this morning we're thinking about another barrier, something that can something, sometimes hold us back from being involved in God's work in different ways. And that is, do we have the capacity to meet the need? The task that God has given us is a big one. The world is a big place. As we saw last week, and as Sam mentioned earlier, there's more than two billion people in this world who've never heard the message of Jesus, who've never heard that they can be forgiven. How are we going to have the people, the time, the energy, the resources, the finances to see the message go out? Because it does take a lot of resources. You know, for an average Aussie family, if they're going to serve as missionaries overseas, then they need to raise at least about $100,000 a year. That needs to come from churches like this one, from people who love and want to partner with them. That's a lot. But it's not just about the money, is it? It's about the, the time that have to, people have to invest. It's about the, the support structures that they need. It's, it's about the, the commitment of lots of people to seeing the gospel going out. It's also about losing people, losing, uh, having people go from your church out, people who would otherwise serve wonderfully here. It's a cost. Do we have what it takes to be able to serve God's ministry? Because there's a lot to do here, right? I saw recently that Melbourne is now the largest city in Australia by population, right? Woohoo! Five million people live in Melbourne. And according to the last census, this is what that 5 million people look like. About 37% of all the people in Melbourne would tick the box that says Christian. Oh, sorry, 41%. But the next biggest group, 37%, would tick the box that says, I have no religion. I have no religion at all. And then we've got another 2% uh, Sikhs, 5% uh, Muslims, 4% Hindus. 4% uh, Buddhists, 6% just couldn't even be bothered ticking a box. There's a lot to be done here. So we need to use the resources that we have for ministry here too. Maybe we need to just focus on that and not worry too much about what's going, out there, going on out there in the world. Do we really have the resources that we need? Now, I'm a parent and if any of you are parents will know that, uh, that being a parent is not cheap. This is my family uh, from a couple of months ago. I have three teenagers. Teenagers particularly are not cheap. 
Who's a teenager? Do we have any teenagers? I oh, know they went. They all got kicked out, didn't they? Oh, there we go. There's one or two. Teenagers are wonderful, but they're expensive, right? You've got to dress them. You've got to feed them. You've got to wash them. That takes hours, it seems. And just so much hot water. Um, but then there's all sorts of other things that they come asking for. I want to go out with my friends. I need some new clothes. The thing that keeps hitting me is, oh, I'm going to this Christian conference and I have to buy the hoodie. Really? You need another hoodie? Okay, sure. It costs money, right? It takes resources. Now, I love my kids and I want to give them what they need, but sometimes resources seem limited and it can feel like that with God's mission too. It's not that we don't think it's important. We're worried, do I really have what I need? Well, the passage that we're looking at this morning in 2 Corinthians helps to address this issue because it's out of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, a church that Paul helped to plant and start and get established. But now he's serving elsewhere and he's writing to encourage the church in Corinth to be generous. They're taking up a a collection of money because they want to support some Christians in Jerusalem and Judea who are experiencing a famine. So it's a little bit of different situation to sort of supporting missions, but Paul gives us here some really core principles, I think, that shape how we think about the resources that God has given us. It shapes how we think about generosity. And so I think we can learn here from Paul about how we can think about generous mission. The first thing we see is that generous mission reflects our heart, not our capacity. It's about our heart, not our capacity. If you look there, first, Paul says two things in the first couple of verses. In verse 6, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, in one sense, Paul's just saying, this is the way the world works, right? He uses agriculture as a kind of picture of what he's talking about here. If you plant lots of seed, you'll reap lots of seed. But he says this also applies to our participation in God's work. If you are generous towards the things that God's doing, you will experience generosity, Now, it sounds a little bit like he's saying, if you want to be rich, then give money to God. You know, like those prosperity preachers who say, I should put on an American accent, but I won't, who say, if you give money to God, or more often, if you give money to me, then God will bless you. You give me a bit and God will give you lots. But you see, that's not actually treating God like God. That's treating God like an ATM machine. It's actually treating money like God. Like if your motivation to give to God and his work is so that you might get more, then that suggests that what you actually believe is it's money that will solve your problems. But it's God that we need. So Paul's not saying do this so that you'll get rich. But there are blessings that come from participating generously in God's work. But the fact that it's not just about how much we give is evident by the next thing he says. Look at verse 7. He says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A little bit earlier in the previous chapter, he says that you should give according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. So, We do need to give a reasonable amount, but it's not actually the amount that matters. Paul doesn't say, you have to give as much as you can. You have to give more and more and more. He says, you need to give 
what you've decided in your heart to give. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. See, what's most important to God is where your heart is at when you're giving, not how much you you give out. God's concerned for where your heart is at. See, to put it another way, you could say God doesn't love, doesn't approve of a reluctant giver or a dutiful giver or someone who gives just because they think I have to do this, kind of through gritted teeth. That's not what brings God joy. It's hearts that are generous, are eager to give to him. It's a little bit like when you give a gift to someone you love. I'm not very good at giving gifts, but my wife does like gifts. She likes flowers, she likes a nice book, you know, things like that. It's Mother's Day next Sunday, reminder everyone, it's Mother's Day next Sunday. (laughs) Now, if I went and bought a book, and next Sunday said, there, a $25 book, it is yours because I am your husband and that is my job. I don't think she'd feel very loved. You you don't just do it because it's a duty. It's an overflow of your heart, and it's the same in our relationship with God. God wants us to be cheerful givers, joyful givers. It's where your heart is at that matters. When you're giving, when you're praying, when you're encouraging missionaries, when you're sending people out who could otherwise be serving in your church, can you do that with a joyful heart? See, if there's a, a limitation in your giving, if you feel restricted, then what you need to do is not look at your bank balance and think, what's the problem? You need to look at your heart and think, Lord, where is my heart at? Because if you're reluctant, maybe it's because your heart is more directed to yourself and your own comfort and your own what you desire. And sometimes those things can hold us back from being generous because our heart's actually not directed towards the right thing. A number of years ago, my wife and I had this opportunity to invest some of our savings into something, you know, it was a good investment, and we thought, okay, we thought about this. We, it was a significant commitment, so we took some time to think about it and pray about it. And the more we prayed, the more we were convicted that what God was saying was, if you do this, it's going to be harder to be generous. And it's hard enough already for me to be generous. Because I like things that feel good. I like to buy stuff. But God wants us to have generous hearts. So we need to think about whether sometimes our commitment to our own comfort, to our own our phone plan, our buying a house of our dreams, buying the car that we really want, maybe that can get in the way of generosity. Because our heart's not directed where it should be. So it's more about our heart than our capacity. The second thing Paul tells us is that actually generous mission comes from God, not from you. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. God is able, he says, to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, if we are generous, it's because God has been generous to us. God provides abundantly for us. And that's the only reason that we can be generous. Paul quotes here from Psalm 112. They've freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, is that talking about us being blessed because we freely scatter our gifts to the poor? Well, no, we actually need to look as we usually happens in the New Testament. If you see a snippet of a psalm, you need to read the whole psalm. 
And the beginning of that psalm, Psalm 112, actually says this. It says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. Wealth and riches are in their houses. Their righteousness endures forever. See, the reason that these people are able to scatter their gifts to the poor is because they are in a relationship with God and He provides for them. See, God provides for us. God is the one who gives us, in verse 10, seed for the sower and bread for food. God is the one who provides everything. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You see, our generosity is really just a reflection of the generosity that we've received from God. And if we recognize that generosity from God, it's much easier for us to be generous with the things he's given us, our time, our people, our money. It reminds me of a little social experiment I saw a little while ago. There were these guys who wanted to sort of, I guess you'd say, test the generosity of people on the streets. And so I think it was in New York, they wandered down the street and they went to anyone who was eating a pizza and sort of said, yeah, I'm really hungry, can I have a piece of pizza? All of them said no. But then they found this guy who was, you know, sitting on the street, he looked like he'd been sleeping rough, and they gave him a pizza, and then they walked away and, and let him enjoy it. He's like, do you want something? No, no, just enjoy the pizza. And then one of their peers, a minute or two later, came up to this homeless guy and said, oh, I'm really hungry, can, can I have a piece of pizza? Without hesitation, sure, sit down and join me, have some pizza, let's eat this together. See, because he'd received it as a gift, he was eager, willing to give it away. He realised he didn't deserve it, but those who thought that everything they have, they'd earned, was theirs. How do we think about the gifts that we have? Do we recognise that they're just the abundance of God's generosity towards us? Do we see that and let that shape the way that we give, that we serve? See, God blesses us so abundantly. Every gift we have comes from Him. Our health, our homes, our time, our money, everything. Why? So that we might be generous. So that we might abound in every good work, as it says at the end of verse 8. Now, the reason I think we struggle with this is because it's the complete opposite to what the world tells us. Right? We, we live in a market economy which views all of us as consumers, right? We are encouraged to think of ourselves in the way of your job is to get more stuff so that you can enjoy your stuff and if you don't get the stuff, then you're going to be left behind. You're going to miss out. You see, one of, the, one of the beliefs of a market economy is that resources are scarce, that you have to work hard to get the resources that you need. And if you don't, then you'll go without. We, we see this particularly around election time. Twelve months ago, you'll remember, there was a federal election and we had these great ads, like this one. It won't be easy under Albanese. <laughs> or, for the other side, can you afford more Morrison? Or my personal favourite for the graphics, there's a hole in your budget, dear Labour, dear Labour. All of these ads were playing on the same fear. There's not enough to go around and you're going to miss out. That's the air that we breathe. But God's word gives us a different message. See, right through the whole of scripture, we see that God is actually 
a generous God. He, he provides abundantly. From the very beginning of Scripture, we see God's abundant creation where he's lots of different kinds of birds and fish and plants and trees and animals. Just abundance. And that, that, uh, that abundance uh, extends to his provision for his people. Even Israel, when they're way out in the wilderness, God provides for them. He gives them manna, he gives them quail, he gives them water. When they go into the promised land, he gives them land flowing with milk and honey. And this constant testimony of the Bible continues in Jesus. When Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, God wants us to believe that he abundantly cares for us. He loves us. He gives us all that we need. And so we can be generous. We are just like that homeless guy on the street who receives things as a gift and can generously give them away. But sometimes that means we need to let God transform our view of the world from the one that we're constantly hearing around us all the time. As it says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So generous mission is something that reflects our heart, not our wallet. It's something that comes from God. It's not just what we have. And finally, it's something that ultimately just brings praise to God for his grace to us in the gospel. Look what it says at the end of verse 11. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He goes on in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. See, our, our, our generous acts, whatever they might be, whether it's send people or sending money or giving our time, ultimately leads to people praising God. Because it's a reflection of God's generosity, particularly his generosity in the gospel. See, in verse 13, Paul talks about how this service proves our faith. It, you prove yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Because the gospel of Christ is actually God's greatest act of generosity. See, when we look at creation and the abundance of creation, we see God's generosity. But when God saw us in need and sent his son, that is generosity. His son came and endured the mess of this world. Ultimately, he endured the cross. He took our punishment. He took what we deserved so that we might instead receive what we don't deserve. We, we get relationship with God, we get freedom, we get peace, we get life. That is generosity. And as our hearts are transformed by that generosity, and we become generous, then it leads people to praise God. See, that's what motivates us. We don't want praise. We want God to be praised. As people see his grace at work in us. Verse 14, it says, Their hearts go out to us because of the surpassing grace that God has given us. See, it's praise for the source, not praise for us. 
It's a little bit like if I found that vitamin pill that did what all vitamin pills are supposed to do. You know, kind of give you all that energy. You know, make me glow, make me look stronger, take away the bags under my eyes and wrinkles, make me look like I was 25 again. Who's 25? Enjoy it, it won't last. If I found that vitamin and started taking it, and everybody's like, wow, you look great, what's going on? Oh, is this vitamin? Then, oh, people would be praising the vitamin. That's a terrible illustration, but you get the idea. People will praise the one who enables us to be generous. He's the source of our generosity, right? He's been generous to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that flows through us as we engage in generous mission. It's like recently I saw a prayer that was written by some of the Christian leaders in Arnhem Land, some of the indigenous Christians up there. There's been a lot of, well, there's a lot of mess in mission to indigenous people. And there's a lot that needs to be repented of, but there's also been some great blessing. And I was so encouraged to see this prayer which had been written by these indigenous Australians, God of all people of the world, you sent your son to show us the path to yourself. We thank you for the missionaries who came to our land and lived here to bring us the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the missionaries who taught our people and who healed them and worked beside them. Help us to live, help us to honour their memory by living our lives as people who bring the good news of Jesus to others. See, these are people praising God. Why? Because of the generosity of those who came to them. That's what motivates us to being generous. See, generous mission is about our hearts. We don't let our capacity hold us back. Because ultimately, all that we give is a gift from God. And as we are participants in God's generous mission, then it leads to praise to God. That's what motivates us. So let me encourage you to lift your eyes beyond your bank balance, beyond your capacity. Look at the world around you, the opportunities that we have to engage in God's mission, not just here, but to the ends of the earth. What a wonderful privilege to have the mission fair here, to see what God's doing, to speak to people who are engaged in helping people go. Go and learn about what God's doing and think about how might I use what God has blessed me with for his glory? How might I use the gifts that God's given me? We all have different strengths and abilities. What has God given you? How has he shaped you? How can you use that to serve him? Yeah, if you're a brain surgeon or a street sweeper, like Sam said, God has shaped you to serve him. How can you use your time? How can you use your time to be praying for your mission partners that the church supports? I, I think it's awesome. Every Thursday night, there's a Zoom meeting that you can join and pray for your mission partners. And some of your mission partners join you on Zoom. I think that's fantastic. Even just join once a month. Give some of your time to generously engage in God's work. Give time to praying for the needs of nations where the gospel isn't. And also give time to praying that God might be raising up workers for the harvest field from among you. Just have a look around this room. Are there workers for the harvest field, for God's harvest field, that will actually better serve there than here? It's costly, but man, what a privilege. What a privilege to be a part of releasing people, sending people, supporting them, enabling them to go. 
See, that's what generosity looks like. And think seriously about your finances. How can you use them to serve God? How can you make decisions that will free you up to be generous? How can you take what God has given you and give it back to him? So that many people might be led to praise him. You have great opportunities at the moment through the love gift, through faith promise, which Sam will be talking about later. Think seriously about how you might use what God has blessed you with to serve him. Because it's an incredible blessing as we engage. I recently caught up with a friend of mine who's uh, serving as a missionary in South America and Argentina. And uh, she shared with me about some of the exciting things that she's seeing happening over there. And in particular, a young lady from her church, an Argentine lady, who's been sent out as a missionary. She's gone to Papua New Guinea to serve God's work there, to work as a Bible translator. And the church is supporting her to do that. Now, Argentina sorry, is not a wealthy country. In fact, I saw that their last year, their inflation was 100%. And the churches are not wealthy. The church that this lady came from uh, doesn't have a full-time pastor. They meet in a fairly run-down building. But they committed to support her with at least 20% of all, all that they were given. And this friend shared with me a letter from, from this missionary, reflecting on the experience of both those who go and those who send. And this is what she said. So I think there are blessings, she says, on both sides. There are blessings for the worker on the field who takes the step of faith to leave because they see that God provides in every way. In addition to this, he richly blesses the church that gives the church that give with a generous heart are blessed by God. Isn't it wonderful that this church isn't being limited by its capacity? In many ways, that's the testimony of this church too. I was just chatting to Calvin, you know, that for years, for 50 more years, this church has been committing to God's work around the world and God has generously, abundantly provided for it. Let's continue that pattern forward, that God might be praised. As Paul says in the last verse, ultimately, all of this generosity looks back to God. And he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. May that be where our hearts are at. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your indescribable gift to us in the Lord Jesus for your abundant gift of life, of salvation. And more than that, Lord, you give us homes and wealth and clothes and food and more than we need. Lord, please give us generous hearts, hearts that are like your heart, that are eager to worship you with all that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.